This is a variety show with no particular niche, baby. It's always about hanging out. Maybe we'll laugh at some stuff, maybe we'll learn something new, but it's always about hanging out, me and you. Welcome to the Gallows. I'm your host, James, and today I have a very special guest. The wind. It is kicking outside. And I've got a, um, I don't know why these apartments have uh, a fireplace. Well, I mean, it's cool that an apartment has a fireplace. And my apartment complex has fireplaces in it. However, the mantle is not even, it's not even, it's not even a brick thing. I mean, it's, it's small. It's like one foot the the fireplace like uh the mantle is that is the mantle the the flat part in front of the fireplace in front of the opening whatever it is this one literally goes out only one foot which is fine there are plenty of one foot in length or 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 depth um mantles or whatever whatever that's called however the fireplace itself only goes in one foot and it tapers inward. So it's not like there's a whole wide space. It just sort of goes in one foot. And for, I don't, I don't, I don't just the entire way this fireplace is set up, I don't trust it. I really don't trust it. And I further don't trust it because just all around it is just drywall. And the mantle itself, as I mentioned, is not even brick. It's just brick-colored, so like a pale brick-colored tiles on what I can only assume is drywall. Now, the inside of the fireplace is, of course, well, not of course, because there's brick ones. This one is metal. It's some type of steel. But I... If I had to use a word to describe the fireplace in this apartment, it would be sus. Uh-oh, sussy, sussy, uh, amongus, amogus. Yeah, dude, it's been windy as fuck. And the wind was really kicking it earlier, about mm, two hours ago from right now, the time of this recording. And, uh, it really fit well with what I was doing at the time. The wind was kicking up, and the scene I was in, in the video game I'm playing, uh, the wind was kicking up too. There was a dust storm in the desert, or a haboob. I'm not even sure if that's the real word for what they call a, a sandstorm in North Africa. A haboob? Is it a haboob? A haboob? Hey, hey, boo-boo. What is a haboob? Let's look it up. Haboob. Let's see here. <laughs> a haboob. It's a real word. Haboobs. Ha <laughs> boobs are giant walls of dust created from high winds rushing out of a collapsing thunderstorm, 
Oh, that's a cool touch because there was thunder in the game too. Cold air in front of the storm rushes down at an incredible rate, picking up massive amounts of dust and sand, blowing them into the air. Um, so you could say, wow, wow, that's a massive haboob. That is a broad haboob. It's so thick <laughs> and windy. Oh, oh, we have our laughs. Mm. So I mentioned I've been playing a video game. Um, well, this thing happened that I didn't fully expect. I mean, I'd been, I'd been anticipating it, but I didn't expect it to happen so soon necessarily. And I also kind of suspected that it just might not happen at all. And that is the 1.5 patch to Cyberpunk 2077, which I'm trying to get my way right now through Mass Effect 2. However, my time has kind of been hijacked by Cyberpunk because honestly, I kind of do like that game. It's fun. I love the city I want to. You know, I was going to say, actually, it would suck to live in Night City, but um, it's just a metaphor for what we already have. So it's, it would basically be the same. So I guess it would be cooler to live in Night City. Like, I don't, I've always wanted to live in a metropolis like that. Why am I not in New York City? Well, I don't know. Uh... <laughs> The fear that I would end up homeless, which we always live uh, because we live in a sick capitalistic system. We always have a pretty good percent chance of winding up homeless. Well, most of the people I know do at least, including yours truly. However, if I were to go to New York City with what resources and connections I have, which I guess a connection would be a resource, with what resources I have, I fear my percent chance of becoming homeless would precipitously increase. And I'm not sure I want to put myself in that position quite yet. As I spoke about a couple episodes ago, I think it was, um, I was already homeless. I've been homeless a few times. I think I've only slept on the street once or twice, maybe. And that was just, one time was just poor planning on my part. I made a, like the most fucked up itinerary for myself. And I ended up spending the night uh, a couple times <laughs> within the same trip. Okay, okay, okay. Before I get into story time and try to navigate these, I guess, maybe 30 to 45 minutes is what I'm aiming for for this episode, I should tell you that I've got some business I want to get out of the way. Actually, it's not really getting it out of the way. It's just something I feel compelled to do, which is to inform you that I release 
every every week one new bonus episode so you can get a second helping of this show. Oh yeah, the greatest show on earth. You can get a second helping at patreon.com slash that thing with James. See, you can get bonus episodes and access to all the other bonus episodes I've recorded and released. You can access those for free by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash that thing with James. And that only costs five bucks. Only five bucks. And then you get a whole host of other videos, bonus quality content. And uh, also, the proceeds from patrons such as you really helps me make this show, period. And it helps me improve the show going forward because I'm not stopping this anytime soon. I faltered a little bit last summer and into the fall, but damn it, I'm sticking to this thing. And you could help make it better and just make it easier for me to make this in general, which would then free up some space to do some different stuff with it by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash that thing with James. And for those of you already supporting the show, you rock. Also, another way you can help me if you feel so inclined is I, I could really use your help harvesting content for this show because you know I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to do something with it. It may not be a Michael Bay production, but it's going to be a James Bay, B-A-E, J-Bay production. Oh, I'll make something out of, I'll make something out of very little. Fuck, I can make something out of absolutely nothing. I'm an alchemist, a podcast alchemist, a podcastalomist. What's a good word here? Write it in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're just listening, this show's on YouTube. And also, going back to the point, help me harvest content and give me much-needed validation by emailing me at thatthingwithjames at gmail.com. If you got a question about something you just don't understand in general, be it about life or, or uh, calculus, which I don't know, but I'll fucking figure it out and I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you about it. Or if uh, you just want to, you, you want me to cover like an article or something, email it to me, that thing with James at gmail.com. You can also post stuff, and I, I love uh, shit posts. You can put that on my subreddit, r slash that thing with James. And last but not least, you can find me on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. My handle on all three is at James J. Asher. You can find all of this information written in the episode description. Now, back to what I was speaking on previously. Previously, before the business, 
I forgot what exact point I was getting to, but I've been playing Cyberpunk again because the update came out. For months, I've been hearing about this 1.5 update, which was supposed to be like the biggest revamping uh, of the game. And it was also supposed to be the next gen version of the game. So for people fortunate enough to have a PlayStation 5, they can now play the PS5 version of the game with ray tracing, which it's, I wish it was just full ray tracing, but the only ray tracing is on the shadows. And I can certainly understand the limitations, especially with just the framework, the engine that they have built for this thing. I can see how that might be a little bit taxing and difficult to pull off, taxing for the machine playing the game. But it would be really cool to have just full on ray tracing. But regardless, I'm playing the PlayStation 5 version right now, and they have fixed so much. It's like a totally different game now, pretty much. Uh, the fighting and everything, the, the, the movements, especially the driving, good God, it, it just works. And they've changed so much artistically with the, with the city itself, Night City. It, it just looks really good. It looks really good. So if you were thinking about picking up Cyberpunk 2077, whether it be for the first time or whether you were just waiting to see if it ever gets quote-unquote fixed, which I don't think it's ever going to be 100% fixed, I say check it out. It's really good, and it has hijacked the time I was spending trying to complete Mass Effect 2 so that I could go on to Mass Effect 3 because I got the Mass Effect redone edition. It was on sale for super cheap a few weeks ago. I want to get I want to get through that so I can play Mass Effect 3 so then I can play Mass Effect 4 whenever that comes out. I don't know when it's coming out, but there's a teaser trailer for it out right now. And if you don't know about Mass Effect, it's regarded very highly in the community of role-playing games and it's especially it's specifically the kind of role-playing game that I really like, where you you you, you go and fight. It's not turn-based. I'm not a huge fan of turn-based RPGs, um, and I, I understand that there are still point systems involved in non-turn-based RPGs, which is cool. I just don't want to go through the turn-based thing unless it's Pokemon, which I haven't played since high school, if that, probably early, I think maybe sophomore year of high school was the last time I played Pokemon. Oh man, I need to wet my whistle. I'm getting NPR mouth. Just a second. <clears throat> oh man, last night I went downtown uh, to get some pizza with a couple friends of mine whom I haven't seen in probably 15 years, something like that. And at one point, it's a married couple, a man and a woman. And at one point, the man asked, have you seen Lovecraft Country? Because we were just talking about 
shows to watch. We're exchanging shows that we should each watch. And he said, have you seen Lovecraft Country? Excuse me. And I said, yes. And then he said, what did you think of it? And then something happened and it was awkward. And I wanted to like hug the, the lady, my friend, because it was one of those things where we both spoke at precisely the same time. It's one of those things that happens so exact in, in such an exact manner that either it only happens one of two ways. It either happens once by pure chance or only if you've been rehearsing it a lot. And we hadn't rehearsed this, but we both spoke at precisely the same volume, at precisely the same time, and at precisely the same length. She, when when the man said, what did you think of Lovecraft Country? She said, I love it. And at yet at the same time, I said, it sucks. <laughs> and the wife looked so crestfallen. We both glanced at each other in the split second and then looked away. And then I looked to her and she was just, her mouth was shut. And she was looking down in shame. <laughs> I didn't mean to make her feel guilty about it. It's just that show, like so many other shows, just dropped the ball. It started off pretty cool, not going to lie. I I don't know if there are more than one season. I think there might be a couple seasons out now. I've only seen the first season. And the beginning was really cool. Like the first fifth, first, well, let's say the first quarter of the season, season one, was really cool. I was digging it. But then it just it just kind of fell apart. It's been, I think, a couple years since I saw it, so I don't remember all the details, but I think it it just went the way of so many streaming service shows where it starts off strong, and then it just it doesn't really deliver on the story anymore, and it gets more about... And that's not to say... That's not to say you can tell a story that has little or no plot. You can do that, and that's cool. I like a lot of stuff like that, but it has to be pulled off in a certain way, something that's compelling and driving and engaging. But Lovecraft Country, I get it. Fucking believe me, I get it. I I understand there was a political um, message behind that season. And I fucking get it. Oh, I know. And I agree. But the way they did it just, it became insufferable. And the second, like, for example, the second season of Dollface just came out. That's a show on, on Hulu with the mm, scrumptious Cat Dennings. First season was great. I loved it. Second season, it just lacks soul, and it's more about, I wish I could just say woke, but that word has so many fucked up 
mixed up toxic associations with it that I don't really feel comfortable using it. It's just kind of insufferable. The characters became insufferable. The story, it doesn't really have any heart. It's more... So actually, what, what what's happening right now with Dollface is something that I see happen in a lot of shows. And I understand why this is so, especially these days. It feels like, and Lovecraft Country isn't necessarily like this, um, Lovecraft Country sort of, because it's not a comedy, uh, but the writing essentially, it's suffering the same kind of spirit, which is a lot of corporate, a lot of corporate HR, a lot of corporate speak coming in and saying, let's elevate and blah, 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 blah. And yes, these things should happen and they are happening. However, corporate lingo is insufferable and the reasons for it are insufferable. It's forced instead of instead of coming from a place of I need to say this. It seems more like producers and stuff are saying we have to do this. Not that they disagree with some equity, inclusion, that and diversity ideas. It's not that they disagree with it. It's just it's it's capital. It's capital influence on art because the backers are saying, okay, we need to do this because we need to elevate voices because we need to make our company look good. This is PR. And I understand art has long been PR for various parties and entities. I get that. It's just insufferable and disingenuous at a certain level. Uh, about these righteous um, causes and stuff like that. It's just a lot of companies that that foot the bill for these shows do it for not the best reasons. They do it for PR, just to look good, and uh, to be up with the trend. That's where the company's coming from. But another thing that's happening, especially with Dollface, is something that I see, which is, the writing is, I would describe it, the writing is writers who have always, uh, TV writers specifically, TV writers who have always been TV writers trying their best to out-clever each other. It's more like... When you see the dialogue and you see this stuff, it's it, it, it lacks a certain verisimilitude. There is a word for you. There is a five dollar word for you. I, I I went to grad school. I paid. I went into debt to learn that word, verisimilitude or verisimilitude. I don't know this the correct pronunciation, but it means very similar. Too. So verisimilitude in art means uh, the, the art is striving to be very similar to real life. And with a lot of comedy shows these days, uh, 
The verisimilitude is so strong, but it comes from this very insulated community of TV writers who are just telling inside jokes. As a longtime outsider, as someone who grew up often um, being sort of an outsider, never necessarily having a click, sometimes actually being new to the town, this is a unique experience. If you have ever moved, especially somewhere far away, fuck, especially if you're from a different country, absolutely. There is a certain, uh, one of my, my first therapists described it as culture shock when I was telling her my experience of having gone from New Jersey to Oklahoma, rural, 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 rural the, the rural juror. Oklahoma. <laughs> I had culture shock. And and there's also this unique experience of being an outsider. And I understand you can be an outcast in the place you were born and raised and lived your entire life. You can be an outcast in that way. And that is also uh, equally valid experience of being an outcast but there's something something special about moving to a new town moving to a new state moving to a whole new region and it can be difficult depending on where you end up to get into a friend group especially when you're younger like junior high or whatever it can be tough to get into a friend group and you see all these other friend groups who have known each other forever. They've got their own jokes. They have their own language. They're a bubble. They're a clique. That's what's happened. That is what is, has, humble, easy for me to say. That's what's happened with a lot of television writers is that back in the day, back in the day, you would get uh, TV and film writers who had not always been TV and film writers, whose families were not necessarily already in the industry. Now, that existed, absolutely. And some level of nepotism has always existed, certainly. However, from what I understand, from what I've read, heard, so on and so forth, a lot of writers nowadays they will come from they will come from a family that's already actively working in the industry in some, in the entertainment industry in some capacity and so you grow up all around that all the time already which already puts you into closer proximity to the industry if you want to be in the industry. And so there are people who will go to school for writing, get a, get a creative writing degree, meet people, and just have their entire career in the film and television writing industry. Back, back in the day, as I understand it, and if, and if you know any different or better, please let me know. Like, write a comment, email me about it, let me know. But I'm just speaking from what I understand, from what I've learned. Back in the day, you had people who already had full lives and careers 
from something fucking else, like someone who had spent their most of their career in the military until they reach like 45 or 50 or, or people who were truck drivers or union guys in a factory or miners, like someone in working in a mine. I don't mean underage people, miners, just people who had lived full lives outside of the writing room, who had a full life experience before they start trying to hold a mirror up to the world. As Shakespeare once said, wink, there's a $5 uh, masturbatory thing. <laughs> you can take that five and become a patron. <laughs> you had people who had lived a full life outside of entertainment industry on their own experiencing and witnessing life firsthand before going on to do any kind of necessary necessary commentary or or uh, mimicking of the world so you had a lot more stuff to work with as a writer in general, if you endeavor for uh, to be in the arts in any fucking capacity, with any fucking medium, as I understand it, and speaking from personal experience, the kind of art you create will, I guarantee, have much more depth and meaning, personal meaning to you. If you've gone through some shit and done some shit, that's very important for any artist. Yet there are so many whose entire experiencing and doing shit is simply TV and film writing. And when that happens, you get these dudes who they can do their best to observe, but they haven't necessarily gone out and had a fucking life and a totally different career, a, sh a shittier one. I understand being a writer fucking sucks. I get that. And pretty much everything fucking sucks as far as work is concerned in this sick capitalistic system. But when your whole world and experience is within the bubble of writing, then it just... It, it, that's where you can start to, in the stuff you produce, lack a certain amount of personal investment in what you're saying uh, and general fucking worldview. And then you just end up with, you know, clever dudes. And I understand writing is also, and everything you do is a game. And the game for a lot of especially comedy writers is, let's see how we can make each other laugh. But it becomes just a bunch of inside jokes. And it makes you, the audience, feel you may not recognize it. You may not catch it right at once. You may have felt with just so many shows, especially these days, you may have felt like there's 
something detached here. There's some weird, vague reason I don't, this isn't really clicking with me, but everyone seems to like it, and there's a lot of commercials and ads for it, so I think I'm supposed to like it, or maybe there has to be something to like, and I'm watching this whole season two of Dollface, and this is not to diminish the work of anyone who did any of the stuff. The performers, everyone, is great. They do good work. But something may feel off, and it may not click with you, but perhaps, I'm not saying this is definitely it, but perhaps what feels off to you, what you are experiencing, is the lack of personal investment on behalf of the writer's or of suits souring something that did have meaning to the writers. What you end up with is just this insular group with their inside jokes, uh, trying to not do inside jokes, thinking I'm not supposed to do inside jokes even though I want to, so I'm just going to make an inside joke and then change a few words so it doesn't really feel like an inside joke. It's just writers trying to like out clever each other. And for comedy, yeah, you should try to make your partner laugh. That's that's a good litmus test to see if you're getting a chuckle, maybe maybe not. And, and by the way, trying to be funny is not the best way to be funny. Comedy's best delivered fucking serious. It's real. It's serious. But with shows like like what's happening with season two of Dollface is just, yeah, I already said it. It's just a room of often mostly dudes just trying to, you know, see who can out-clever each other and speak in this really sort of affected, but yet affected yet heightened sort of dialogue and then make their characters do that. But something may feel off to the viewer because you're not part of that bubble. You're getting an outside experience. You're looking at that clique of friends and thinking, I wish I was in that group. I wish I was in that bubble. Man, they seem to be having so much fun. I want to have fun too. Maybe there is something in what they are saying that I should try to understand. Maybe I should learn their language because it seems rich and enjoyable, but it's really not. And you can try, but it's not going to happen because that's a bubble. That's a click. So if you really want to avoid that, and, and that's not to say all writers who have always only been writers and come from a family of producers and writers and stuff, that's not to say they all do this at all. No. Uh, just bring some real life experience, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Wow. You know, I have really had no idea what to talk about today. Emily suggested I talk about directing stuff I've really enjoyed. And I've talked about that on here before. 
directors I like, stuff, uh, types of direction I really enjoy. And basically, I, I like all, all sorts of directors. There's so many people who do so much cool shit, including video games like Mass Effect 1. By the end, I was fucking loving it. Like, what an epic story that was. It's an epic sci-fi. If you don't know what Mass Effect is, it takes place far, far in the future. Humans discover this thing called the mass effect and the mass relay. It's this sort of energy that allows you to basically hyperspeed really faster than light, go from one galaxy to another between these two mass drives or whatever the fuck they're called. It's like a, uh, you see it in so many other sci-fis where there's some kind of gate and allows you to cross, yeah, to a whole other galaxy very quickly. Well, that's sort of the basis of what happened with Earth in Mass Effect, and they end up meeting other races, other sentient beings in the cosmos and intermingling in a, it's like a space epic kind of soap opera-ish. It's kind of soap opera-ish. But it it was, it's a great story and you get to choose the dialogue and I feel they, and I've, I'd heard this for years before I played the, started playing the series. I've heard that it is one of the best RPGs in terms of the choices and how the choices you make affect the outcome. So it's a choose-your-own-adventure kind of a thing. And it really brings it front and center because there are many other RPGs who kind of do this, like you get to make choices and you get to choose dialogue. But there are so many things where it's like, whatever path you take, it always ends up at the same ending, has the same result. And cyberpunk, unfortunately, is a lot like that. I understand there are several different endings for the game. It's just that a lot of that, it just flares out like that at the very end. But everything before that basically ends up at the same point, no matter what choices you make. But for Mass Effect, it really does change what kind of relationships you're in, what happens further down the line. And here's something that's really cool that I'm sure there are other games that have done this, but I haven't played any. What you do, the choices you make... All right, hold on, hold on. Let me, ref let me back up. If you're a gamer, you may know about a thing called New Game Plus, where you play a game and you complete it, and then an option comes up on the main menu for New Game Plus. Uh, and, and when you start New Game Plus, it's different, depends on who, who made the game and what they want to do with New Game Plus. But just for a general idea about it, if you got to level 50 and have a bunch of really cool shit and skill points uh, situated in a way you really like, you get to keep all that, your level, your strength, your gear, unless it's integral to the main plot, in which case it's going to like disappear, so you can get it again in your second playthrough. 
So you keep all your shit and your character and skills from the first playthrough and get to play it in a new game, but with all this stuff added. Well, what Mass Effect does is sort of like a new game plus, and I don't know if each individual game has a literal new game plus, but the choices you make and a lot of the, like the character's face that you can uh, manipulate and change to look how you want, you, you can carry that stuff over into the next game, which is really cool. And so there's choices you make that affect things, say, in Mass Effect 1. You affect relationships, you affect certain outcomes within the Mass Effect 1 itself. However, I'm finding in playing through in Mass Effect 2, and it, it reads your save file from the first game, the, the subsequent game does, the choices you make end up affecting shit in the second game, I'm finding. So I can I can make choices that don't affect in, in Mass Effect One that haven't affected anything in Mass Effect One that end up affecting something in Mass Effect Two, and who knows is something I did in the first game going to affect something that happens in the third Mass Effect? That's really cool and forward thinking, and that is a good example of vision before execution. That's vision driving the action. And that's something Dollface needs. And that's something, uh, what was the show? What was the show? Lovecraft Country really needed. They had an idea, but they didn't really execute on it because it just got loose and muddled down with corporate speak. And they, I wish they didn't do that. Because I want everyone to do great. I want everyone to do great. And I don't want these writers <laughs> to think, you know, to feel shame. The way my, my friend felt shame when I said, man, Lovecraft Country sucked. And she said, I loved it. And we said that at the same time. I, I don't want her to feel that shame. And I don't want you as an artist to feel that shame. And that's all I've got to say is just live, live life, live, laugh, love. Whew. I think that, I think that's it. I think that's it for this episode. <laughs> Hop on over, stick around for the bonus episode. I'm going to read some um, fanfic erotica about, I think I found one about Hassan Piker and Ben Shapiro. And I wonder if pregnant Abby Shapiro is going to be in it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to giggle, if you want to read some fan or hear, hear read fanfic erotica, hop on over to the bonus episode. You can access that and all others by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash that thing with James. It only costs five bucks and your support, it helps. You can also help by helping harvest content for the show for me to use. I, I'd love for you. I want you to help guide this ship, my ears and eyes wide open. Email it to me at thatthingwithjames at gmail.com. Post it on my subreddit, 
r slash that thing with James. And as always, you can find me on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at James J. Asher. All of this information is in the episode description. Wow. I don't know what to make of this episode, but I went with it. Who knows how it's going to turn out. This is the show. No plot. Hopefully I executed it well. I'm trying the best I can. I love you, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.